Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. How's New Life Church? Everybody well? Man, what a time of incredible praise and worship this morning. Just beautiful, uh, good flow, and just all kinds of good sincerity coming out, uh, not only from the platform, but from us, the people as well. I appreciate uh, our worship members and team that do such a fantastic job, and uh, it also, I appreciate you as a church who just enter in with a heart of worship and praise, just to humble ourselves before God and, and be in His presence and, and just to be saturated by His love and be reminded that He is great and that He is greatly to be praised. Amen? Amen. Well, it's certainly good to see you all this morning. Who's ready for the Word of God? All right. Well, it's a, that's a good sign uh, that, uh, that that is happening. Uh, we're continuing in our, in our theme, our vein of great expectations that we started out with last week. Uh, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me to, to, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2 uh, is where we will be this morning as we continue with great expectations. I want to open up this morning's word with, with kind of the anthem scripture found in Ephesians 3.20. It's actually in the message version. I know not all of us carry that around unless you have a smartphone or something that has the Bible app on it, but it's on the screen for us this morning. Let's take a look at, at what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, God can do anything you know far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit, deeply and gently within us. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning to open your word, we come, Lord, asking that you would speak to us. There's no doubt you speak. There's no doubt you communicate. It's oftentimes the trouble is on our end with hearing and understanding. So I ask and pray for that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and understanding this morning. As we open your word, Lord, help it to, I pray that it would just hit home in our heart. It would just make sense. The things you've been trying to get across to us in this hour of our life, that we would hear it and it would resonate within us. And Lord, in those areas of our heart and our soul where Perhaps we're a little distant or closed off to you for one reason or another. I pray that those things would just melt away and that we would see you fully and know that you really love us and that you have a purpose and you have a plan for each and every one of our lives. We honor you now and we thank you for your word. May it come to life inside of us and to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody who desires that to say amen. 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 Just means so be it, Lord. Let it happen to me. Well, again, so it's such a delight to be with you this morning. I know it's uh, dreary outside, but I'm glad and thankful that we have a place to gather together as a church family and worship God together and learn in his word and be reminded of a lot of things and encourage each other. But as the scripture just said in Ephesians 3, that God can do greater things than you and I could ever ask or imagine or even think beyond our wildest dreams, according to his spirit that is working within us, that is deeply and gently working within us. And 
He's able to do above and, and beyond a lot of things that you and I could even fabricate in our mind. A lot of us have a lot of needs. We have issues. We have concerns. We have fears. We have dreams. And we have expectations about life and, and different things and our faith with God. But, but the thing about all of it is, is God already knows that He is the end and the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. And all he's wanting us to do is to put our faith and to put our trust in him. That as you and I do that, as we do that as uh, believers in Christ, then what happens is his plan unfolds and his plan comes to pass as we put him first and trust him. And so, uh, you know, coming into a new year, we try to come in with, with a lot of hopes, a lot of dreams, a lot of expectations, trying to bury last year the things, the mistakes we made and all these different things and trying to put, a, uh, put some light in front of us. And the only way that can happen is if we put Jesus first. And that's really what we talked about last week, the expectations, having these great expectations that God has for us to, to be people of faith, to be people who give, to be people who pray and fellowship and interact with God, have a real relationship with Jesus, to be people who fast. And that's certainly my wife earlier, Haley, mentioned about our 21-day prayer and fast. We are... Uh, day seven, going on day eight into the 21 days. And I just encourage you and invite you to join us, if you have not already, to make a decision, to make a determination, to, to commit to these next 14 days that remain in these 21 days of corporate prayer and fasting. And join us. You can go online to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. There's information there. We also have these these cards here that are available to you at the guest and connect table there at the back that you can pick up that. Just a reminder to go online. And when you go online, you'll see a, a, a blog that we've created that's got daily devotions that are, uh, that are rooted in the Word of God. And so our goal is just a little bit every day, at some point in our day, to stop and take a few minutes and to refresh our hearts and our minds, our memories about what God has to say about life and what he has to say about you, and what he has to say about each other, and, and to take time to connect with him, make a moment of connection uh, with God. And so I, we just encourage you to be a part of that and, and to join us in, in, in a time of fasting. Uh, and if you want some more information, details about what that means, you can go to last week's sermon on our website. You'll see it. It says resources or sermon series, and you can click on that, and, and it'll pull up last week. It's got the date, January 8th from last week, and the title, Great Expectations, if you were not able to be with us last week and you want to know more about that. So I encourage you to take the next step and, and uh, dig a little deeper uh, this week in your faith uh, with the Lord. And so he has those kinds of expectations for us, but God also has other expectations. And I think one of the things that he expects us as his followers is this, is that we would grow up in Christ, that we would mature, that we would aim to be maturing Christians, uh, to be the kind of people who would become strong and steady and stable and secure in our walk in Christ, in our faith. And so as, as followers of Jesus, I think that's one of, the, one of the things as well, one of the great expectations that God has of you and I as followers of Christ is that we would grow grow up. Look at this scripture here, 1 Peter 2, verse 2 on the screen. It says, like newborn babies, you crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. You see, I like some of these words he uses here. You, you crave, you must crave 
spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. And then he ends it with cry out for this kind of nourishment. In other words, have great expectation in God and his word and in your relationship with Jesus to want to grow. It's one of God's dreams and his goals for us as as followers of Christ in the relationship that we have. This scripture is not on the screen, but it's in the message version. Just listen to these words, Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16 in the message. He says, Paul says, no prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy, who are an easy mark for imposters. He says this, God wants us to grow up. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God. It's one thing to grow up, to have experience and things to that nature, but it's another to grow up maturely with good health, a healthy way of growing, a healthy way of maturing. And, and so that's one of our aims here at, at New Life Church is to help us together as a church family, people of faith, to not only connect with God, but also to grow with God in, in the most healthy way as possible. Not the most perfect way, because uh, the last time I checked, um, I'm not perfect as your pastor. Other leaders here are not perfect, and none of us are perfect. And, and the thing is, is that we would have the aim to that our, the, the trajectory of our life spiritually would always be aiming in that direction. Uh, just like I said at the beginning of the year, just three weeks ago, that we would aim our life to be in full agreement with what God wants to do with our lives. You know, and it, it, this scripture here in Ephesians, uh, Paul says this. He says, we have Christ Jesus as our lead, as our example. Let me turn our attention now to book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to point out two scriptures before we get into the rest of the text, but verse 40, it says this. It says, Jesus grew up, the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. And then the very last verse of chapter 2 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in all people. So Jesus being our lead, Jesus being our example, it shows us right here in this context of this story that we're going to get into, that he went on to grow up. He not only went, up to grow, went on to grow up naturally and physically, but he went, up, went on to grow up spiritually uh, with spiritual formation and maturity as he served God. Because how many of you know, Jesus had a pretty big uh, purpose, right? Come on, you with me? Jesus had a pretty big purpose. I mean, he, his chief thing was to, was to die on a cross, not selfishly, but selflessly, sacrificially for the whole world. Last time I checked, there's not been anybody else been, been come close to that, right? To, to say, I'll die for the world. Jesus, being the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, made that sacrifice, and that was his chief aim. Even late in his life, in th- at 33 years, that's about all he had on earth, but he accomplished a lot in 33 years. Only three and a half years of, of just earthly ministry that we can read about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He prayed late, right before his betrayal and his arrest. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there's any way that you can take this cup 
for me that I don't have to go through this suffering. Would you do it? As we know, we are all familiar, hopefully. He did not. He did not take it away. He said, no, you've got to go through this because I love the world so much. John 3, 16. I love the world so much that I have to give you. I have to give you, and it's going to hurt. It hurts. It's going to really hurt you, and it's going to hurt me as your father. But I love the world so much, there must be a sacrifice, and you are it. Because I love the world so much. And then everyone who would put their faith in me and believe in me, they wouldn't perish, but they would what? Have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Jesus knew what was ahead of him, and so therefore, because he knew that had a sense of God's purpose for his life, he had to grow up. And you and I are faced with the same thing. You and I are faced with the same thing. I know we probably, you've probably said it or you've heard others say it or you've thought it before. You've been around some people and then you can think, would you just grow up? I wish you would just grow up. Maybe you've said it to your kids. I have. <laughs> My oldest is only 10. I'm like, chill out, man. Chill out. She's just 10. You know? But yeah, God has this expectation of us to grow up, to not remain spiritually Immature, And right here in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at about three verses that really give some, shed some light, that showcase um, what, what I call pillars for growth. God has great expectations for the ch- his children, people of faith, followers of Christ, to grow up. And in order to do that, I think we can look right here at the life of Jesus. The early, early days, Jesus is eight days old. Now, what can an eight-day-old eight person teach us? This, these, these verses are going to teach us a lot. They're going to give us these things right here. They're going to give us four pillars for growth. That these four pillars need to be well-established in our life if we're going to grow strong in the Lord. And if I dare say, by show of hands, you don't have to, but you want to grow strong in the Lord? I mean, you don't want to go through your life being beat down and weak, spiritually weak, low faith. You want to live up to the expectations of God's word to be an overcomer in Christ, to be victorious, to not let certain things get the best of you, amen? To not let certain things wrap around you and hold you down and pull you back. And the list goes on and on. Jesus said we can do that. We have that kind of promise and guarantee in his word. And so we're going to look at these. We're not going to get to all four. We're going to actually plan is to look at three this morning. And then next week, God willing, We'll look at the fourth pillar for growth, so come back next week and get that. But let's look at these four pillars for growth, and we'll start. These need to be well established if we're going to go strong for the Lord. Verse 21, Luke chapter 2, verse 21 says, Eight days later, when the baby, Jesus, was circumcised. It's probably not the best way to start out a sermon, to start talk about circumcision. It's a word you don't really use a lot unless you're in the health field. Uh, particularly if you're in the part of delivering babies. But this first pillar is what I call the pillar of purification. If you're taking notes, the pillar of purification. And if you're just a good, you can remember well, the pillar of purification. And we take our lead by that first part. Eight days later, Jesus was circumcised. He was circumcised. What that it, it, it showcases, first of all, is that circumcision... At that time, up until the new covenant became established after Christ, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the New Testament comes into full, full fruition, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his people in the old covenant. 
in the Old Testament as a sign of God's covenant. And then really what that word means, it means to cut. It, that's exactly what it means. It means to cut. And so in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, it was, there was a physical cutting that took place. Thank God that's not the play, t- thing today to establish His covenant. But he content, God does use this principle still throughout the New Testament. And let's look at what Paul has to say about it in Romans chapter 2, verse 29. It's on the screen. It says, True circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart. Produced by the Spirit. So in the New Testament, under the law, under the eyes of grace, Jesus' sacrifice for salvation and relationship with Him, it's a circumcision is a change of our heart done and produced by the Spirit. In other words, it's a cutting away of some old fleshly things, attachments that we all carry in our hearts that we really don't need the longer we live and the more we know Christ. There are things in our heart that God says, you just don't need that attached to you anymore, that I have come to save you. One of the songs we sang earlier in our worship segment, I am free. I am free to live for you. That is a thing in the anthem of the, of, the, of the gospel, of the word of God, that Christ Jesus comes to set us free. Amen? That you and I do not have to live with baggage. Thank God, because we all have had some, and we still have some hanging on to us. But the thing about it, as we yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we have an expectation to live up to God's expectation to grow up, there are things in our hearts that God, by the Holy Spirit, wants to cut off of us. There's just things in us that's not good for us. They're not well for us. They're not beneficial for us. That maybe at a time earlier in our life that we didn't really know anything about it. We were elementary in our understanding about our relationship with God, about God's Word, about His expectations for us. But the more we're in this thing with Him, we soon discover and will discover there are certain things in our hearts. In fact, there's a lot of things in our hearts that are not of God. That, don't, that are not well-pleasing to him, that don't, that don't subscribe to the way that the, the New Testament tells us to live our life for Jesus Christ. You know, I can make a list, but the Bible does a really good job of showing that, of things he, in, in the epistles. They tell us, take off these things, put on these things, you know, die to these things and live in these things. And so the scriptures are full and give us great Uh, goals and give us great uh, uh, direction and guidance to show us, hey, if we're going to be a Christian, then we got to let Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, circumcise some things in our heart. Yeah, will it hurt? Sure. Will it be sacrificial? Sometimes. But will it be beneficial? Always. Amen? How established is this pillar, this pillar of purification? Uh, The doctrinal term here is called sanctification, uh, the doctrine of sanctification. It's an, it's, in other words, it's ongoing change. In other words, as a true follower of Christ, are we truly willing to live our life ongoing in this relationship with God to let him continuously make changes in us? I don't know about you, but about me, there are some changes that I need God to make in my heart. I need more of God. I could have sat or I could have leaned on my crutches a little bit longer in that, in that time of worship, 
just that song Sydney sang over us, and that that God, the you know the presence of God is here, and there, and it brings so many good things. God's presence in our life. Just that's the thing about God and His presence is it's free, it's reassuring, it's comforting, it's also life changing. That we can encounter God and not be changed, and that's what God wants. Amen. Which leads us to this to the next pillar, pillar number two. You guys with me? It's the second part of verse 21. It says, eight days later, Jesus was circumcised. Then it says, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. This second pillar is what I call the pillar of personalization. The pillar of personalization. It says he was named. speaks to identity. His identity. The Son of God. The angel said, you will name him. It was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. He will be named. He will be born and all these things. And just falling right along in line with God's purpose. The identity you and I have in Christ gives birth to God's purpose that we have for him and in him. So he was named. It speaks to identity. And here's what I want to say about that is accept who you are in Christ Jesus and identify with him. If you're a believer, you're a Christian, your identity, our identity is not in ourself. Our identity is not necessarily in our personality. Our identity is not in our vocation. Our identity is not in our socioeconomic status. Our identity is not in our skin color. Our identity is not in the house we live, the car we drive, or where we live, or where we've been to school, go to school, or don't go to school. Our identity is not in our level of education. Our identity is not in our level of being able to uh, uh, have a certain type of lingo about us or the way we talk. Our identity is not in any of that. Our identity is not found in another person of flesh and bone on earth. No, our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. And there's a whole lot of scriptures in, in, the, in the Word of God that talk about the identity that you and I have as Christians in Jesus Christ. But I think one of the greatest ones that kind of sums it all up is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. On the screen behind me it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I just, I love that verse. It's one of the high-ranking ones that I, I, I go to a lot. And again, there are a lot of scriptures in the, in the Word of God that speak to our identity. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and so on and so forth. But this right here really sums it and clarifies it. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Your old life before Christ is, is gone. And now that he uses the word passed away, meaning it, there was a funeral for that. And when something passes away and it's been buried six feet under, that, there ain't no coming back from that unless the, there was just this wild resurrection miracle that, that Jesus did. And he did that with Lazarus. But I mean, he gives, I love the language here and the, 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 the context of where Paul writes, your old life is passed away. It is no longer who you are. It is no longer alive, in fact. It has no living address. It has no geographical location other than it's dead and buried under the blood of Christ. And behold, he says, all things. I like, he said, behold. In other words, listen to this. <clears throat> Check this out because this is real. 
this is truth. True dat, right? True dat. This is for real. All things have become new. All things have become new. You know, the Bible says in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created. It says, in God created us in the image and the likeness of himself. In fact, he was talking amongst himself, him and the spirit, and they were all there. And he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We're all, humanity is created in the image of God. Period. But it's not until a person becomes born again that that image and the blueprint of that image comes alive. Which is why Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, leading up to John chapter 3, 16, that you must be born again. And so you and I were created in the image of God, but that image is buried until Christ becomes Lord in our life. Until we accept Jesus Christ, until we call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Jesus then comes into our life. He comes in and he unlocks and he gives birth and he opens the door to the image of God that's been lying dormant in us. In fact, it says in Colossians, Paul says that Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God. And so Jesus being the exact image of the invisible God comes into the life of a person by faith of that individual, forgives them, begins to set up life inside of them, and unlocks and gives birth and opens the door to the image of God that that person was created in. And so until a person is born again, saved, then that image of God lies dormant. In other words, that person will never truly live up and live in fullness of life and certainly will not have everlasting life, eternal life, as Scripture declares. Because Jesus is the only one who makes that possible. And so when he comes in, he unlocks that and gives birth and makes the image of God come alive. And then as we grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, over 31,000 verses, as we grow in the Word of God, then it begins to open up our understanding. In fact, in Ephesians uh, 1, 2, or 3 in there, in there, Paul even prays, I pray you would give them a spirit of revelation and understanding so they can grow in the knowledge of your Word. See, and if, and if there are things you and I don't understand about God's Word, all we have to do is ask God. God, give me an understanding. God, give me a revelation. Make this make sense to me. You know what I'm talking about? And so, and he will. Oh, he will give you understanding. He gives us knowledge. Why? Because he wants to know what he has to say. And he wants us to get it, and he wants us to live it, and he empowers us to do that. And so, that image inside of a human life comes alive when Jesus comes in and becomes Lord of our life. And, and so that's what makes possible the old, the old part of us, dead, buried, passed away. And the scripture declares the promise of new life. I make all things new. That's why one of the reasons we, we name our church New Life Church out of Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. Paul says it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. All that matters is that Christ lives in you. And that's the great thing I love about our church. The diversity of our church is it doesn't matter who you are. The only thing that really matters is that Christ lives inside of us. Amen? Because when Christ enters and invades the heart of a person, love captivates. God is love. Love comes in and love begins to transform and uproot the old things of bitterness and hatred and all these other things that, that you and I could give a name to and fill in the blank with. Jesus Christ comes in and liberates our soul and begins to truly transform our life. If you want to live a different life, then you've got to serve Jesus. 
Amen? That's as plain as I know how to make it. And the great news about it is that you're not going to get it right every day. But God gets it right all the time. And he got it right with you when he said, let you be created, let you be born, let you come alive, and has this purpose and plan for your life. New life in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is our true identity. This is our real identity. And it gives us our purpose. If you want to know what your purpose is, it doesn't start with trying to, uh, you know, uh, try to find certain things and, and, and settle in on certain things. It starts with knowing Christ Jesus. If you want to know your purpose, it's rooted, it's fermented, it, I mean, it's formed, it's fashioned in Christ. And then from there, he unveils and opens up what he's created you for. It's not the other way around. Everybody with me so far? Verse 22, we're going to look at the third pillar, and this will we'll end with this today. Verse 22. Then it was time, the same story, eight days later, Jesus is a little baby, eight days old. You got the pillar of purification, the pillar of personalization, identity, and now this one. It says, then it was time for their purification offering, his mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord and either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I just want to zero back in on this. It says, and they took the child, presented him, to the Lord. This third pillar is what I call the pillar of presentation. The pillar of presentation. He was presented. He was dedicated to the Lord. And his parents did that, and his parents offered the sacrifice at the time that was required. Today, we only require $10,000 when you want to dedicate your child. That's it, minimum. That's a joke. It's really more than that, but I won't, I won't charge you that. So, you know, get a discount. He was presented. <laughs> if that was the case, a lot of us wouldn't be dedicating our kids, or right? I'd be like, oh, we're going to have to wing it here, or wing in a prayer. Hopefully, he'll, they'll make it. Hopefully, they'll be good, you know. <laughs> so his parents dedicated him, presented him to the Lord. Here's what it really, I think it kind of gets down to this, this, this term, this word, and that is accountability. Accountability. I know that's not a word we use a lot, and it's really not a word... Most people really like to use because, really, in our carnal nature and our fleshly nature, we don't like to be accountable to anybody. We like to call our own shots, right? If you're honest, yeah. We like to call our own shots. And that's, that's a gift God left with us when He created humanity the gift of choice, of free will. But the reality of it is, we are all accountable to somebody, we're not out of it not escaping from it. We don't get out from under it. I kind of like the way the Apostle Peter lays it out in 1 Peter 5. Basically, if you take a note, it's 1 Peter 5. He talks about it in verse, really that whole, that whole chapter, but really around verse 5 and 6. And he, he lays it out this way. He says, really, we're all, we're all accountable. He used the word submitted to, to elders, which are church leaders, to one another in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we're also accountable and submitted to God. So when you look at it, there's like these three layers that God has 
put into motion. That, that, that when, when we aim to live this way, and Peter expounds on this, <coughs> excuse me, Peter expounds on this later in that, and he says, if you, will account, if you will make yourself accountable to your elders, to your church leaders, to one another in your church, and to the Lord, here's what will happen. God will care for you, and he'll help you not to be overtaken by the, by the enemy, by the devil. I don't know anybody who just wakes up and says, I want the devil to kick my tail today. I want the devil to just derail me, distract me, tempt me, and make me do all kinds of stuff. Right? I don't know anybody that just wakes up that way. And, and the, the, but the reality of it is, if we don't come under the submission of our elders and, our, and one another and to the Lord's leadership and authority in our life, then what that does, it makes us susceptible to the enemy's tactics and strategies. In fact, Peter uses the language and he says this. He says, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you know how he kind of, you can watch this on National Geographic and some other nature shows, and you see the lion on the hunt, on the prowl. And he's going after whatever animals in a group, in, a, in, in whatever the correct term there is, the flock. Use that because that describes the church, the flock. And, and he looks for that one or two that's kind of not quite staying with the rest of the flock. And they kind of get on the outskirts and kind of, you know, just kind of taking their own little leisurely time, doing what they want to do, calling their own shots. I'm not following the rest of you guys. I want to hang here and play a little bit or do what I want to do. This makes me feel good. And the, and, the, and the whole time, the lion is watching from a distance. You can't see it until it enters the picture and until it enters the screen. And at that time, it's way too late because he's already made his mark. He's already painted the, 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 the target uh, on, on, that, on that animal. And by that time, that animal is not paying attention. He's not staying with the rest of the flock. He's separated doing what he wants to do. And, and, and then it shows that lion pouncing on that animal. And he eats it, destroys it. Friend, that is the picture that God has for us viewing the enemy. He's waiting for us to just do what we want to do. And when we think we can just call our shots, not be accountable to anybody, not be accountable to the elders, not be accountable to one another, especially in this day and age, because it's, that, that's kind of the, the lie of the enemy in this present evil age, is this, is that, is that don't judge me. You don't know me. And the reality is, as believers, as Christians, the whole New Testament is filled with scriptures of one another, what we call the one another scriptures, and it, and it involves fellowship interaction loving each other serving each other checking in on one another you and i have that responsibility for one another somebody calls you or checks on you and asks you are you doing okay or or they saw you somewhere maybe where you shouldn't have been and they're like what were you doing it's not because they don't hate they they hate you or they don't like you it's that they care for you and that's what Peter's getting at, is to have, to live with vigilance, to live with awareness that, hey, the devil is after you. The enemy's tactics are real, and his strategies are real, and he has a slew of them, and he'll find a way to get in there and mess with your life. But friend, the guarantee protection you and I have, and we talked about this at the beginning of the year, the first Sunday of the year, is living with the 
gracious hand of the Lord on our life, living in agreement with what God wants to do. Part of what God wants to do is to see his people live in accountability with their elders, with one another. And certainly it shows that, hey, when they do that, then they're living in accountability with God. But there's benefits to it. It's not all about the checks and the balances, but there's benefits to this. And that's what the, 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 the next, oh, verse 25 through, through 40 really show. And we're not going to go through that in detail uh, as line by line, but here's what I want to get you, get you to is this. There's two people following this story. The prophet, uh, the prophet, uh, prophet of Simeon and the prophetess Anna. They're in the temple praying. In fact, Anna's been there a long time, ever since she was made a widow 84 years earlier. Said she was praying and fasting in the temple every day. And there's Simon who was praying and, and asking the Lord, I don't want to die until I see that you have brought the, the Messiah into the world. And then after that, you can take me on home. I'm cool if you will honor that prayer. And God honored that prayer. And he allowed Simeon to see the baby Jesus come into the temple, saw Mary and Joseph bring him in, present him and dedicate him, make him accountable to the Lord. And as a result, you see the, the benefit of being accountable to other people. Simeon then began to pray and thank God for them. And he began to pray over them and prophesy over, over the baby and over Joseph and Mary. And Anna did the same thing. She was praising and thanking God for what had happened and, and, and telling everybody else, in essence, prophesying to other people all about what this baby was, was going to do on this earth. And it said that Mary and Joseph were just amazed at what they heard of what God's purpose was for their child. And it brought, brought some benefits. In other words, it brought some good things. Accountability brings good things to our life. We need to understand that. You and I as Christians need to understand that accountability brings good things to our life. It, it, we see this, it brought them strength. It brought Mary and Joseph strength. It brought Jesus himself, even at eight days old, strength for his journey. It brought them encouragement. I don't know anybody that doesn't need to have some strength. I don't know anybody that doesn't need to have some encouragement in their life. The Bible talks strong of these words. These are not just little casual um, adjectives and things that are thrown out there. No, strength of God, encouragement of the Lord. Friend, you find yourself downhearted. You, found, you find yourself in your soul down. You know the thing that changes that is God's strength and God's encouragement. I don't know anybody that doesn't go through some dark days. I don't know anybody that doesn't face some disappointments, right? I don't know anyone who doesn't go through some discouraging moments. I mean, things could be going really good one week, and then, the, then or the, by Monday, on Monday, and then by Friday, it's like, man, things take a nosedive. You're like, where in the world did this come from? Why is this happening right now? And we're left with questions, and we're left with concerns, and we wrestle with our emotions and, and all of it. But the, the great thing that comes from accountability, when we rely on each other, when we're in relationship and fellowship with one another, and we, we're in contact and communication with God, here's the thing, we get strength. Simeon, Anna, brought great strength, brought great encouragement, and it brought great comfort to their hearts. Because the word Simeon gave, man, was a little tough. It was a little tough. He said... You can go back and read it, but he says, he said, this, um, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. 
I mean, you want that for your life. I'm going to make people fall. But he says, but he will be a joy to many others. I mean, that takes comfort to hear a word like that. It takes encouragement. But you, you go back and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the Gospels of the life of Jesus. He did. He caused many to fall. Those who were religious, those who did not really understand and comprehend who this was, the Messiah. But the down and outers, everyone else, the commoners as they were looked upon as, that's who Jesus, he came, and, he came to seek and save, the Bible says, those which are lost. See, the religious thought they were found, and that's why they couldn't accept. But everybody else knew they were lost, and therefore they found life. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled his purpose. And he fulfilled his purpose because his parents, his family, had this pillar, this pillar of presentation active in their life. I like to close with a little story. I've been reading a little book called Mondays with My Old Pastor. Uh, you wouldn't even know who it was from. I never heard of this person before. But this, this was a Christmas gift passed along by local pastors in our community they gave this out as a Christmas gift to us. I'm so glad they did. Uh, Mondays with my old pastor. I, I want to be like this, this old pastor one day um, who welcomes uh, other pastors into his home and sits and listens and then gives good stories that helps them out. Somebody who's done that, been there, made it, didn't quit, but fought the good fight, kept the faith along the way. I want to be this kind of man right here. But anyway, he says this right here. He says, God is not as interested in our productivity as much as he is in our lives. He loves fellowship more than production. And he gives a story. So there was once this old woodcutter who showed up at a log mill the pay was good, the atmosphere was good, the working conditions were good. So the woodcutter decided, I'm going to be a good example at woodcutting. The first day, he introduced himself to the foreman, and the foreman gave him an axe. And he said, go, here's where you're going to go cut wood in the forest. So the man was excited. He went out for his first day of work, began to cut trees, and in one single day, he cut down 18 trees with an axe. Congratulations, the foreman told him. Man, keep up the good job. Keep up the good work. It's awesome. Well, he was encouraged. Encouraged by his words, the woodcutter decided, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to improve and I'm going to cut down more than 18 trees. So he went to bed early, rose up, rose up early the next day before anybody else went out into the forest and he worked hard, but he only cut down 15 trees. Hmm. Thought, Man, I must be worn out. I'm going to go to bed extra early, get a little bit extra sleep, wake up a little more early tomorrow. and Tomorrow morning, I'm going, to, I'm going to beat my record of 18 trees. But however, the next day, he wasn't even able to cut down half that number. The next day, he only cut down seven, then five, then the last day, he spent all afternoon just trying to cut down his second tree. Worried what his foreman would say, he went up to him and he told him, he said, I don't know what's happening, but listen, I want you to know that I'm giving it my best. 
I'm working hard. And the foreman asked him, well, when was the last time you sharpened your axe? Sharpened my axe, he said. But I haven't had time. I've been too busy cutting down trees. He says, when the axe gets dull, we will have to spend double the energy to obtain half the result. You know, I find that to be true. We all have dull axes at times. We all find ourselves trying to do it, trying to do right, trying to please God, trying to be productive. Lord, tomorrow I'm going to do better than I did yesterday, right? Come on. Lord, I know I failed yesterday. I talked bad to Will. I thought some bad thoughts. I made some really dumb choices or or whatever it was, but tomorrow I'm going to get it right. And it doesn't mean you're not sincere. That woodcutter was as sincere as could be, but what he was missing was not his hard work or his sincerity. It was the fact that he didn't slow down to take time to sharpen his axe. And you know what I find is a good axe sharpener? Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and with each other. I think oftentimes too many people think it's one or the other. I've got to spend more time with God. i got to spend time more, more time with God. i got to spend more time with God. And true, yeah. And, or, man, I need to go to church more. I need to be with the people more. I need to be in there more. I need to do this more. I need to do that more. True. But I find the greatest is when the two are mixed. The two are coupled together. That you could be maybe having the last worst six days of your life, but you come to church, you're in fellowship with the body of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and you find yourself leaving stronger than when you came. And you know what? That's really what I think everybody's looking for to have their axe sharpened so really they can do better. But God's after fellowship before production. Amen? Will you bow your heads? Let me pray for you today. You know, growing in Christ doesn't just happen. But it happens when we intentionally and honestly Just put these pillars at work in our life. Purification. Personalization, identity in Jesus. Not complicating it. Not making it harder than it is. And really, learning that we can be honest with one another in the church. And that is where we find that we get sharpened. So, Father, I pray today for everyone here. Lord, we're in different places and going different places, but we have this one thing in common. Those who are born again, we have Christ at the center of our lives. And I pray today, Lord, where any one of us, our souls feel let down, our bodies may be tired. Lord, even some of our expectations about life, about church, about our jobs, about our families, or whatever, 
Maybe we just are a little disappointed. And so wherever we find ourselves today, and others are maybe really strong, really courageous, really encouraged right now, then Lord, wherever we find ourselves on this spectrum, that we would not fail to stop and let you sharpen our axe. At this moment right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just drop encouragement upon encouragement upon us. God, you want us to make it more than we want to make it. And I would dare say most of us probably really want to make it. We want to really be well productive for you. We want to be, be well pleasing to you. We drop the ball. We may not be as good as today as we were yesterday or vice versa, but we're here right now in your presence. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, place your arms around us right now. Strengthen us, encourage us, bring comfort to our hearts and help us to know that you love us and that you desire for us to grow up. Lord, I know some of us are scared to let go of things. Some of us are afraid to to let you in in certain areas. Some of us, God, are so afraid to let other people in because we maybe just aren't wired that way. But there's so much freedom and good things found when we let you in and we let our brothers and sisters in the Lord into our life. So I pray that we would find great freedom in that and great understanding that your expectations for us are good. And the Lord, we may we have the expectation to truly grow and to grow strong in you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We got just a couple of minutes before.